We're live. This is an exciting episode, episode 82. I can't believe it's been that many already. Uh, today, I have a very special guest I want to share with you, Andrew Tepperman. If you've heard of the company Tepperman's, it's one of Canada's largest independent furnishing companies. Um, I'm so excited to have Andrew on the show, who's the president of this company. They first started in 1925. Since then, have expanded to multiple locations across Canada. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the story of Tepperman's and also what's what they're planning for the next uh, 100, 200 years after they turn 100 years old in 2025. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited for this. It's my pleasure. It's great. And uh, it was great to give you a tour last week of our operations too. Yes. I, I forgot to mention that. I, I, you know, I have to thank Andrew for letting me go to the facility and actually see how the logistics works, the marketing works behind Tappermans to really give me a, a, a fair lens on, on this conversation throughout you know, tonight's interview. So that was a really cool experience. So thanks for that, Andrew. Of course. Um, first question, ask at every show, where near Tepperman's or I guess in general and all of Windsor Essex is your favorite place for a nice cup of Joe? Well, I'm, I'm limited in options living in LaSalle and our Windsor head office where I work is directly, at, you know, across the street from a Tim Hortons. So, um, but I'll, I'll one thing I found with COVID, one of the positive things is you start to learn different things. And so yeah. I started to grind my own coffee and French press it. And to me, that has become the greatest morning ritual that I could, that could, that I could ever do. And specifically, kicking horse beans from British Columbia. I like that. Okay. What's about the, is there something special about the beans in BC? Um, I like the fact that it was Canadian and... Yeah that it was a little bitter. It really kind of woke me up in the morning. There you go. Yeah. French press it is, I guess. That's a, that's a go-to. I have to, I have to try that out. I'm usually yeah. just a regular, regular coffee or a nice shot of espresso if I want to get a bit fancy. Yes. <laughs> um, now, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, how Tepperman's has evolved. And when I was in, in the, um, the head office, we walked through the halls and there's this super cool timeline of all the historic events that have taken place in the last, um, you know, little under a hundred years. Are you able to share that story a bit? How has Tepperman's grown since, since 1925? Sure. Um, yeah, that, that wall is incredible because it starts with my grandfather. It actually starts with the boat when, you know, when the immigrants were coming over from Europe, um, you know, back in the twenties and, and then it shows when he first got his first bicycle and went door to door and then, you know, his first store, et cetera. So it was really interesting. Um, you know, he came, my grandfather, Nate Tepperman, came here um, from uh, Russia in, right after the uh, communists took over. And he, you know, he really didn't have any skills, didn't have any education, but, you know, he had that, you know, that immigrant work ethic. Um, anything was possible. And he, you know, he just started going door to door and he had to figure out what his niche was. And so it was, you know, selling blankets and carpets and things like that. But department stores did that and other retail stores did that. So his niche was take the product and I'm going to come back next week and collect a nickel. And the next week I'll collect a nickel. And the funny thing is, you know, 97 years later, we're, we still have the exact same in-house financing model that he set up in 1925. It's, it's grown quite a bit, but that really was the foundation of what got Tepperman's going in the beginning. 
Um, you know, and since then, you know, yes, we've um, we have more sites. We're all over. You know, we're from between Windsor now and Hamilton, Kitchener, Sarnia, Chatham, etc. But it's it's like the sites are great for growth, but there's a lot of internal things I think that has, have really helped us. From you know, if I look at the people, for instance, we have over 500 employees now. That's a lot for a you know Windsor-based family company. Yeah. Um, we have really specialized people. You know, when my grandfather started, he could do any of the jobs that we had at Tepperman's. Today, I can't. There's no way. It's um, especially when we get into technology and digital marketing and things like that. Very different. Um, we've grown in, uh, um, you know, in our in our values, for instance, in what's important to us. So, you know. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would we have cared that there were questionable things going on in a country that we were importing from? Probably not, but today it's part of our guiding principles. Mm -hmm. So it, it bothers us when we hear things that are happening in a certain country. So we, we have to move products and move sourcing to other areas that we feel more comfortable with. Um, I think though that like, you know, probably one of the most important things for, for our growth has been kind of developing these 10 year vision plans. Yeah. And, you know, we never had that in, you know, when I first started, it was like, what are we going to do this month, this quarter? But when, when, when you can put like a 10 year plan in place and you can paint a picture, what you want your business to look like 10 years from now. So in the year 2032, what is, what is Windsor going to look like? What is a business going to look like? And you can write, write out that vision on a piece of paper. It really helps everyone moving forward in the same direction. And we did that in 2015. And that's allowed us to do so much at this point from you know, our, our environmental work, our community work, um, sourcing new products, um, enhancing our financing to our customers. It all kind of just ties together. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, you know, owning like because you own a, a family a family business, it, you know, it started. You're the third generation. Um, it's it's not often that you see individuals putting this much energy and thought into the the core values of the company. Like it, it seems, you know, at, from a leadership position that you're in, you have a pulse on 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 your company now, but also what it's going to look like in the future and you touching on the strategic plan, this, this 10 year guiding document. I don't know how many other furnishing companies have that. I don't think many, I don't think many companies in general work in these 10, 10 year buckets at all. Yeah. Um, even before we developed our first 10 year plan, I, you know, one of our um, suppliers is from uh, uh, South Korea. I was about to say North Korea, but no South Korea. And um, it's LG. And I remember talking to one of their vice presidents about the country and what it's like living there. And he, he started talking about how they work in 50 year plans. So, you know, today we buy, you know, as consumers, we buy a lot of stuff from South Korea, LG and, you know, Samsung being two yeah. well-known companies, Kia, Hyundai, et cetera. But what was, what was that country like 50 years ago or 60 years ago? It was nothing like it was today, but they, did, they decided they wanted to have a plan. They put a 50 year plan together and they're working towards it. 
And that, that really kind of lit the fire too, where, you know, can we do that? Can we put these 10 year plans together? And it really does work. Yeah. And I think this t- kind of ties into my, my next question is, you know, I was looking up some stats and the average lifespan of a family owned business seems to be around 20 years, give or take. Um, and I imagine, you know, in some cases much, much less. Um, do you think it's because of that strategic plan or, or are there other things that really helped you to, you know, surpass this, this average and almost hit a hundred? For sure. It's a lot more than the strategic plan. So my grandfather started in 1925 and he ran it until 1970. So, and, and he would have kept running it, but he, unfortunately he drowned in 1970. So we had, we only had one store. We were in one city. Um, my father then took it over and decided to expand. Um, he had a vision. He, he operated the company differently, uh, different values, different focus, different priorities. Mm-hmm. And then my brother and I took what my father had developed and we continued to expand it. Um, it, it yeah, the stats are really interesting. So, you know, I, I'm always looking this up every year, you know, um, I, I do a lot of, you know, annual speeches and town halls, and I love bringing these stats up. S- supposedly like 60% of second generation businesses fail and 90% of third generation businesses fail. So I'm a third generation. So the odds are really stacked up against myself and my brother. Yeah. Um, but we're also very humble and we don't take anything for granted. Um, you know, we don't have hobbies. We don't golf. Retail is our lives. It's always been our lives. Um, we just want to keep getting better. Um, and, and it's not so much about growing revenues or income or things like that. It's like the brand itself. Like a lot of the things we do, we try to, we, 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 we say like, how can we provide products as a competitive advantage? How can we offer technology as a competitive advantage? How can we have our delivery as a competitive advantage? So even if something's not broken, how do we how do we get better at it? Um, you know, four four years ago, we we decided that our Windsor store wasn't good enough. How many like local family businesses would invest millions of dollars to renovate their store in Windsor? Um, and it, we didn't have to, but the outcome was fantastic, and the customer experience is a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we did that with in our Chatham store, um, our Sarnia store, etc. So five out of our six locations in the past probably five, six years have been completely revamped. And a couple of years ago, we decided we needed more warehousing capacity, which was really, which was, you know, it was great not knowing that COVID was going to hit, but we really needed it. Uh, And so we expanded our London warehouse by 50%. Um, You know, investing in technology, investing in people. So it's really like, I think, thinking about that long-term game, not about today. And, you know, a lot of public companies run into this. What is your performance going to be next quarter? That's, I mean, it's important, but it's not the top priority next quarter. It's what's, what are we going to look like in 10 years from now? And then how do we build the next 10 year plan from there? No, it's, it's very interesting. And and your stat about uh, 90% of third generation businesses failing. Why, I guess, why do you think that is? Well, I belong to a lot of retail associations in North America. Uh, I'm on the board of a very large one in the U.S. Um, we know 
tons of retailers all over Canada, um, you know, Mexico, America, et cetera. And in the home furnishings business, there were a lot of companies that started, um, you know, let's say 50, 60, 70 years ago. The next generation may have been um, more entitled, possibly. They felt like they were, they deserved more, et cetera. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've met many of them and they're just not as focused. They, they're, you know, they, I don't want to say they don't care, but they have other priorities in their lives, I think. Yeah. And I know my brother and I really have temperaments is important. Like when your name is on the building too, that might be a little different as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and just, just going into uh, another question I had, uh, it's, because you're an independent uh, furnishing company and it's family owned. And, and this is something we talked, touched on a little bit when I was in uh, last week, how do you compete against these giant billion dollar furniture companies uh, like Ikea um, Lowe's? I, I don't know. Like it, it must be tough. Yeah. And, the, and these, those, and those uh, companies you mentioned, are fairly new for us when you look at a business like ours that have been around for 97 years. Yeah. Um, I didn't show you this, but in, I don't think I showed you this, but in, on my desk, I have a phone book from uh, 1931. And I keep it there specifically as a reminder on how fragile business is in general. When you look under the furniture section in that 1931 Windsor phone book, there are 21 furniture retailers listed in Windsor. Today, there's only one left and that's us. So it's this constant reminder that no matter how great you were last year, 10 years ago or 50 years ago, that, yes. that means absolutely nothing. You gotta keep improving your reputation and improving your services, et cetera, all the time. But you know, I, in addition to that, that 1931 phone book I keep, there's like these three quotes that I really like and I use them a lot in my town halls. Um, it's by, one's by Charles Darwin, one's by Frederick Nietzsche, and one's by Maya Angelou. So a very wide range of you know, philosophers and, you know, scientists and stuff. And Charles Darwin, and, and I'm sure many people have heard of this, but the Charles Darwin one was about how, um, you know, the strongest, and it's not about the strongest and fastest surviving. It's the, it's the ones that are most adaptable. Those animals okay. are the ones that survive. And so... We, we, we're always changing. And when you're kind of like a smaller family private company, you can change much quicker, I think, than these big public billion dollar giants that have all these levels of bureaucracy and things like that. Yeah. So I think that's been really important to us. Um, Frederick Nietzsche said, um, you know, those who have a why can bear almost any of the hows, which basically means when you know what your purpose is, it doesn't matter how hard it is to get there. You can do it because you know where you're heading, like you're aligned. And then the last one by Maya Angelou, which I love and I use this in all my presentations is, you know, about how people will forget what you said and what you did, but they'll never forget about how you feel. So that's the people side of the business, which I love. And, you know, if you talk to anyone, you know, that I work with, when I meet with them, I'm always asking them about their people. How are they doing? How are you doing? You know, because when you get that right, like when you get the people side right of any business or any relationship, it just, things just flow and things become that much easier. You know, we have um, 
six guiding principles at the company that we live by. The first is to create an awesome staff experience. That's not, not an awesome customer experience. It's an awesome staff experience. Yeah. Because we know when we get that right, they will create the awesome staff experience. So that, you know, between the people, the purpose, the hows, um, the adaptability, I think that has really allowed us to compete against the Best Buys, the Leons, the Lowe's, the Costco's, et cetera. You know, and, and, and we love it. We love competing against those companies. Just because you're big doesn't mean you're going to dominate. Uh, you know, Sears Canada for us was a really big competitor, if, if not our biggest competitor, for 30 or 40 years in appliances, furniture, bedding, et cetera. And they're no longer in business. Um, in Windsor, Art Van wasn't even a Canadian company. They were based in uh, Michigan. They were a really big competitor in Windsor to us. They went bankrupt. So, you know, just because you're big and you're well-known doesn't mean you're going to be there forever. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good thing to kind of soak in. And I really like those, those three quotes. I'll have to rewatch and, and uh, look them up and save them. Um, my, 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 my final, my final question and something that I think is just phenomenal for, for a furnishing company, any company really to focus on. And I think with my generation, uh, we care a lot about the environment. And I think Temperaments has been taking a very unique approach to become a more sustainable company. And uh, I just want to talk about, I guess, what what the plan is for environmental sustainability and why do you focus on this? So, you know, I think in the same, you know, before you asked a question about, you know, how many, you know, family businesses or how many companies have these 10-year plans and stuff, yeah. very few. How many have an actual formal environmental plan or a CSR plan, corporate social responsibility. Again, very few. Mm -hmm. There are a couple who I love. Like I think Ikea's got a great one. I think Pepsi has a great one. Um, but you know, for us, it really was part of that 10 year vision. And it's one of our guiding principles. We actually, it's not just, you know, signs and, you know, mottos on the wall, like we live it every day. So, you know, in our business, we create a lot of garbage, you know, cardboard, styrofoam, et cetera. We found ways of repurposes and repurposing and recycling everything. I remember a couple of years ago, I was uh, on a site tour of a store in um, Houston, Texas. And as we were walking by this machine, we saw them putting this styrofoam in the machine. We're like, what is that? How do you, are you, are you getting rid of this? And it was called a foam emulsifier. And within 30 minutes, the representative of that machine in Texas met us on site and told us exactly how it works. And within three months, we had two machines brought up from the US into our warehouses to start melting this styrofoam and repurposing it. So, you know, for us, it's not like something that we theoretically talk about. This stuff is really important. Um, and I think in general, you know, like I think more consumers and more of the public's realizing that if you're neutral to the environment, you're kind of complicit to the problems. So you got to yep. really take a step out there. And it's become grassroots too at Tepperman. So uh, a couple of years ago, some people on our team said, can we start building bee-friendly pollinator gardens. 
because these pesticides are wiping out the bee population and pollination is really important. Yeah. So we said, sure. So we did our first experiment in one store and now it's spread. So if you drive by, by our Windsor warehouse, you'll actually see a sign and you'll see the, um, the, like the 2000 square foot pollinator garden there in London, in our London store, they liked it so much. They they're turning a 2,500 square foot pollinator garden into 25,000 square feet, which is, it's massive. Yeah. Um, they, you know, you know, we're, we're doing our first uh, solar installation right now in Kitchener. Oh yeah. So I sent you that before. So they're putting up 914 solar panels on our Kitchener roof wow. and short term, we're going to have to feed it into the city's network, uh, into the grid. But then long term, we'll eventually be able to create and store the power that we generate on site. And this goes back to that 10 year plan. So in, tw in 2015, when we wrote that 10 year plan, we said by the year 2025, we will be powering, we will be using renewable energy to power some of our locations. So, you know, we check, you know, we had to do it and, um, and, and it's, and we're going to continue to, um, to expand. And, you know, we looked at um, micro, micro wind turbines. Um, those were not as friendly in, in urban areas as solar. Yep. Um, mattress mattresses so this here's another great example when most people buy a mattress they got to get rid of an old one a lot of those and the companies will pick them up but the easy way is the easy thing for the companies is you dump them in the landfills and that's what almost everybody does that really bothered us because one of our goals is to reduce our landfill use by 80 percent yeah mattresses take up a lot of that so we found a company in chicago that we're, we, we've been sending used mattresses to who have been taking them apart and repurposing them. And we recently found a Canadian company that does that. So we're going to be moving that to the Canadian company. Um, car chargers, you know, optics is really important on what we do. So when you drive into any one of our stores, there will be a, a, a dedicated area for customers to plug in their car. Yeah. Whether, whether they shop with us or not, you know, in some of our sites, there's shared parking lots. So I'm sure people, anyone can use them, yeah. but it kind of sends the message that, you know, the environment is really important to us. That's just unbelievable. What your the initiatives that you're doing. And the other thing too, is, you know, when you, when you talk a lot, when a lot of companies talk about, you know, environmentalism, they really don't have measurements or goals. You know, they talk about recycling. We actually um, align what we're doing with the Paris accord, which states that, wow we cannot raise the global temperature by more than 1.5%. So what does that mean? It means that at Tepperman's, we have to reduce our carbon use by 4.6% every year. So we actually have measurements that we use to determine how we're impacting the global Paris Accord um, criteria. And last year, our goal was 4.6. We reduced our carbon by 6.3% or something like that. So, you know, we're, we're going to continue to... Um, make this important. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and yeah, no, it, it's, I think it's inspiring to other companies too. understanding, you know, what, what another uh, family owned business is doing and, you know, how can we, you know, even if we don't have the capital, there's little things that you can do to mm -hmm. still make a difference. Um, yeah, there's a lot so of organizations out there. So for us, it's continuous learning. We don't, we don't, we don't wake up in the morning having all the answers either. 
Um, we belong to a lot of organizations, associations, chamber of commerces, et cetera. And just by attending a lot of their, their meetings and events, you pick up so much information. You know, yeah. there's so many great companies out there doing great things. Definitely. Uh, and I, I just want to transition a little bit. We had one question come up that uh, I, I wanted to touch on, uh, Andrew. This actually comes from a university professor of mine, and I believe consumer behavior, Dr. Peter Voyer. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard of him because I know you do a lot of stuff at uh, Odette. But his question is, a key trend in retail is the enhancement of the service component. Do you see this applying to your business? And if so, how? Yeah, there's there's many different facets to that. I think there's you know in-person physical store experience, there's the online experience, there's delivery experience, there's the in-house financing experience. So there's so many of those different areas. And you know, I mentioned before when we look at delivery, for instance, in-home delivery. Forget everything else we do. We're hyper focused on how do we make our delivery a competitive advantage. How do we create a white glove service that's better than everyone else? And how do we measure it? You know, our goal is to have 97% of our first time deliveries perfect. If it's not perfect, what are we doing differently? Um, what can we offer that's better for your service? So in the old days, for instance, when you were waiting to get a fridge or a sofa delivered, we would tell you it's coming on Wednesday or Saturday. And you would just sit there. You would you, you would not make any appointments. You wouldn't go out, leave your home. You would just sit there. Then it evolved into, we'll give you a three-hour window, which is okay. It's a little better. But a lot of us still work on Wednesdays. That doesn't really help. Um, so then we, were, we found this technology, for instance, called Dispatch Track, where when you're getting a delivery today, for instance, you can type, go to our website, type in your address and your, your order number, and it will show you exactly what truck and you can follow it around Windsor. <laughs> you can actually be in your, in your office and you can see, Oh, it's, it's making a left on, on a let. I better get, I better leave my office and I can get there in five minutes. So those kind of things, whether it's leveraging technology or anything, it works. Wow. You know, I mentioned before that we were um, renovating all of our stores in Windsor, we spent a lot of money doing it. Part of that was to improve the experience too. So I got to take COVID out because it's really messed everything up. But when you walk in our stores, the first thing you will do is smell popcorn. We have this massive, big movie theater popcorn machine. And you walk in, we'll give you a bag of popcorn. There's free coffee all day. Those little things, they make a difference. Um, we created a section where you could drop your kids off and they could just watch TV or color. Well, we measured that in one of our stores and our consumers were staying in the store 40% longer when they could drop their kids off. So every one of those little things makes a difference. Yeah. Um, when, when COVID hit, no one knew what, what to do. There was no manual for this whatsoever. No black swan strategic planning prepared us for this. So we immediately invested in a, in a, digital chat system, which allowed us to get through hundreds and hundreds of chats every day to help our customers who might've been waiting for deliveries, who wanted yep. to buy an essential item. So yeah, to, so to Peter's um, question, it's every area we treat as, how do we create that as a competitive advantage? Fantastic. Um, I think this has to be one of my most insightful interviews to date. I mean, I, I think you're, 
you know, a lot of people, you know, I guess say they're doing these things, but you're actually like walking the talk and, and putting it to action. And especially with strategic plan, um, it's not just a document that you had a consultant write up and it sits on the corner of your desk and, and you don't touch it until, you know, a year before, you know, it's over, right? Like you're actually looking at it day by day and making these innovative changes to really grow your business, enhance the customer experience, uh, redefine what, what a furnishing company is all about. Um, so Andrew, I find it super inspiring. And I just want to thank you for making the time today. Of course. And if anyone has a chance to go onto our website, tepperman's.com, there's a section at the top that talks, you know, you can click on about us, about Tepperman's. And if you go on there, you can go onto our sustainability section or our community section, et cetera. But there's a link on our sustainability section that gives you the full like 20 or 30 page document on everything we're doing that's good for the world. And it, I would put this up against, you know, how I mentioned, I, I like Ikea and Pepsi and some big companies. I'd put this up against multi-billion dollar international companies. It's that good. <laughs> check it out. Exactly. No, we will. And yeah, tempermans.com, check that out. Uh, those watching, thank you for being here. Please like and share. Uh, it means a lot. And Andrew, thanks again for the awesome tour and also for, for making the time. Uh, you'll have to jump on to uh, Dr. Voye's class uh, in the future. It's all about consumer behavior. And I think uh, some students would enjoy your, your perspective. I love it. Peter, if you're still uh, listening, I'm, uh, I'm open. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thanks again. And those watching, I appreciate you being here tonight. We'll see you soon. Thank you.